Welcome to the Daniel Artest Podcast. Uh, this is part two of the interview with Andre Miller, 17-year NBA vet. Thank you for coming back on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the show was going so good that we had to come back because we didn't even touch the second the second part of, you know, you playing in the league and everything. So I, we really appreciate it, you know, you coming back on the show and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Also got my guest definitely. with me, uh, my co-host of 265 Media, uh, JC, John Cunningham, and uh, Chris Mills in the building. So yeah, we're gonna get right into it. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna resume with talking about Denver because you was there for three seasons, you know, you never missed a game. You helped them reach the postseason for the first time in eight seasons at that point, you know, playing with Melo, Marcus Canby and those guys. And um we all knew that uh Melo was the team's best player, obviously, but you was the most vocal. So take us through those those years in Denver. Man, it was it was some fun times, man. Still young. You got, you know, you got a superstar coming in the league around the same, I think that same year with LeBron, you know, Carmelo Anthony, um, you know, it was a lot of excitement around the city and, and um, you know, it was, you know, him winning the national championship and then coming straight to the Denver Nuggets. It was, it was nothing but excitement, man. He came in with, you know, a hardworking mentality and, you know, we just came in there and we played basketball. We had fun, you know, it was a, good team, a lot of good guys, good personalities. And, you know, it, we just took off and, and got a rhythm early. Yeah. So so how was it playing with that that young Carmelo Anthony? And what was missing from your team, from, from that Denver team to make a real run at it? You know, I don't think, I don't think nothing was really missing. You know, I think it was just the conference. You know, the conference was so strong. You know, you got the Lakers, you got the Spurs. I mean, you got the Jazz, you got the Rockets. I mm. mean, I mean, every Portland, everybody on the West was super good, man. It was super competitive. So Minnesota with KG, Cassell, and and uh, Spreewell, it was just so competitive, man. We just couldn't get over that hump. And, you know, they decided to make some changes after that third, fourth year. And you know, it ended up parlaying with Iverson over to Chauncey Billups, and then they was able to get some some type of uh, chemistry and, and make it all to all the way to the conference finals. So, um, you know, my experience in Denver was great. You know, competitive, fun practice, a fun group of guys. You know, I mean, they, you know, some guys got a, a lot of uh, slack. You know, Carmelo caught a lot of slack. You know, Jr. Kenyon, but. It was a tough group of guys and, and guys that, that wanted to compete and win. And that's yeah. all that really mattered. And, and and we worked hard. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was definitely a hardworking team. Y'all was y'all was scrappy as hell. But yeah, you're right. That Western Conference was always a beast, man. It was loaded. Yeah. It was yeah. loaded. Definitely. So you was um you also yeah, like you said, you went to Philly for a few seasons, you know. Having getting them to the playoffs, having that great series against Orlando. So, like, same question with Denver. How was your time in Philly? Man, Philly, man. At first, I was, I was shocked to get traded out of Denver. It was like, yeah. you know, I think I was probably that was probably the first time that I was actually hurt over a trade. Mm. That was my my second trade, and I was like, you know, I was told, you know, hey, this is this is you and Carmelo team, you know. You know, you guys are, are doing well, you know, you're being professional, whatever, you know, and next thing you know, I'm getting moved. I think that was right after maybe a couple of weeks after that brawl in New York and Carmelo okay. got suspended. Mm, yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, uh, 
I was hurt, man. And then to go to Philly, and then I think at that time they was at the towards the bottom of the league. And then, yeah. you know, everything was Allen Iverson and you know, all the media stuff about when he was saying practice, 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 and all this type of stuff. And then I come in the locker room and you know, you got a whole bunch of young guys and you know, I just came in with a hard worker, you know, a worker's mentality and tried to lead by example. I thought that's where I actually was starting to step out my character as, as far as becoming more vocal, you know, um, as far as, you know, I wanted to win to prove, you know, everybody wrong. A lot of people on that team, uh, Lou Williams, uh, Iga Dalla, Willie Green, Sam Dallenbert, a lot of those guys wasn't getting the respect that they wanted around the league. So we had guys on there with, with um, chip on their shoulders. Mm. So we was able to, you know, that first year when I got there, I think in December of 07, we didn't make the playoffs, but those next two years we did. So that said a lot about the hard work that the guys uh, put in. Um, um, Lou Williams matured, Thaddeus Young, Iga Dollar stepped into a leadership role. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we got the most out of that roster that we could. Mm. Yeah, so let me ask you a question. Um, you ever felt overlooked in the NBA? Because I always thought that you was the one of the best point guards in the NBA, but teams always, you know, traded you at the, uh, like around the third year mark. I, I think, I think, you know, it was more like, you know, maybe the management is, is making changes. Like, you know, when I got to Philly, Billy Hunter had brought me there. Okay. And then, you know, once Billy Hunter contract was up, then they brought in, I believe, uh, Ed Stefanski. Okay. You know, so it was like, um, you know, my trades end up happening when management changed. So Denver, you know, yeah, Kiki Vandeway, and then they changed to, I think Mark Warkentin and Rex Chapman. Then I go to Philly. Then it's Billy Hunter and um, Billy Hunter to, um, uh, what's the guy, Stefanski. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was, it was the nature of the business. You know, maybe they thought that, you know, they wanted to upgrade at the point guard position or they was looking for something, you know, something totally different and you know, sometimes it worked out for those teams, sometimes it didn't. So, you know, I mean, that's that's just the nature of the business. Do you think that, uh, do you think that uh, there's an element of them not like giving you a, a chance to like show like, yo, I'm still here, I'm Andre Miller? Yeah, they knew, they knew like my time in Denver, they knew what I could do. They knew what I brought to the table. Um, I brought leadership, I, I brought reliability, like we talked about in the last episode. You know, um, I was reliable. I was a leader. I led by example. And and what's crazy is when when they traded me back. You know now. You know now Masai is the general manager. Yeah. And Masai was kind of like a runner when my first go time around in Denver, and he was actually, I believe, he told me he was sitting in the room when they was going to make the trade, and he was like, "No, nah, I don't think it's a good idea." So when he brought me back, he was just like, you know. You know, we, we were very upset that we had to make that trade, but, you know, ownership wanted to, you know, they wanted another star to play alongside Carmelo. And it, it was what it was, you know what I'm saying? I was like, at least, at least I got traded for a Hall of Famer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
that's how I looked at it, but I was hurt over that. But that's the nature of the business, you know. But like I say, you know, once management's, you know, even Cleveland, right after I got traded in Cleveland, they changed management. Hmm. That's crazy. You know, so, you know, it's, crazy. It's, you know, you I'm going to ask you an honest question, bro. Uh-huh. Do you feel like um, you deserve a Hall of Fame slot? You know what? You know, if they went based on stats and, you know, everything that they they normally go by, I'll say no. You know, like me and my buddies had this conversation all the time. You know, if, they, if they're just going to base it off stats, championships, all-stars, all that type of stuff, no, I'm not a Hall of Famer. But if you put it in the the eyes of like, you know, like basketball eyes where, you know, hey, every person that I played with, they got better. Every organization that I played with, they got better. The 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 um the team got better. And and the amount of and the amount of guys that I helped get paid. Mm. Mm. You know, if you want to throw in the the, you know, hey, the peers, the peers really should decide who makes the Hall of Fame. You know the players. I agree. But you know, that's a. I, I don't think you know that that'll be a dream come true. You know the ultimate gratification that okay, people did really appreciate my game. But I'm not gonna hold my breath. I don't think. I don't think with the way things are and how it is, the Hall of Fame is the elite of the elite. Yeah. You know. So if I had some All Star games and some championships, cool. But no, no, that's for that's for the mega stars. You know, you just can't, you know, I heard some baseball players say, hey, you just can't be putting anybody in. And I'm not going to say that, that I'm not anybody, but, yeah. you know, that's a whole nother level. You know, that star, that that Hall of Fame, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I'm a, I've been, a, you know, I, I, I've been a fan of yours. And I'm always uh, telling some of the youngins to watch your tapes. So I, I, I think that one day you should get in there, you know, and like you said, through the basketball eyes. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I honestly, that's my honest opinion. Uh, and some of the youngins I talk to don't know you, but yeah, they feel it. I mean, if you look at a lot, I mean, the history of the league, it's a lot of guys, I mean, that are being passed up Hall of Fame. Tim Hardaway haven't got put in. Maurice Cheeks. Mm. Mm. You know, you got, I don't know if Dennis Johnson, you looking at Rod Strickland's, you know, I mean, guys that I'm kind of been compared to like, a, like something like a Rod Strickland or something like it's so all the way, man, back to the sixties. So many guys that that's deserving and they're up in age, man. So, you know, fat lever. Mm, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. So, man, Lafayette. <laughs> you know, as long as we feel that we Hall of Famer in our family and friends' eyes, it's all good. Facts, facts, facts. Um, you know, I I always thought that you had the elite awareness. You know, the ability to set tempo, run a team, able to get your teammates very good shots. You didn't make a lot of mistakes, and you were a winner. Um, I always thought that a title contending team could have used you as well to get over that hump. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, my, my time in the league, I mean, me and my buddies had this conversation, like, if you look at the history of the NBA, 
and I think it's maybe 73 to 75 years, mm-hmm. there's only maybe seven or eight teams that dominated those 73 years. Yes, yes. You know what I'm saying? So everybody else is just super competing and, and trying to figure it out. So you got the Lakers, Warriors, Bulls, Celtics, you know what I'm saying? Everybody else just, just back on the back burner. So um, it's, it's competitive. I'm just happy that I played in the, in the era where, you know, I got a chance to play against Kobe. I got to play, play against Jordan when he came back. I got a chance to play against LeBron. And then the new cats, you know, the Stephs, the Durants, you know, I, I mean, and then you throw like, like Shaq was probably one of my favorite players, man. You know, you talk about generational talents that helped form the league and just to be out there, you know, to compete at that level. Like when I retired, I was like, man, did I really play in the NBA? Like, yeah. you know, just to go That's sit cool. on, the, just to go sit on the side and watch a basketball game. Like I went and watched the Warriors game. I think I've only been to three, three NBA games since I retired. I went to a Warriors game and a Clippers game, and I was just sitting there like, uh, did I actually play basketball against these guys? It was like like every shot from the side looked like it was going in. Mm. Every shot, it looked like, and then the tempo and the speed, and I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. No, I didn't. <laughs> it was like, I, I didn't, no way, no way, no way. So, you know, I'm just grateful to, to uh, fulfill that dream. Yeah, it's funny that you uh, say that about playing against older Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe. Mm -hmm. So this is a question we usually ask, since you're one of the few that was able to play against all three. One, uh, what's the difference, in your opinion, between the three, of matching up against the three? Um, You know, I was a big Magic fan growing up, and then Jordan came along, and, you know, I didn't want to put on the Jordans, you know, I didn't, you know, I just stuck with the Converse and the Chucks, but you know, just like every kid, like I tell my older son, you know, when the weekend came, when Sundays came, nobody went outside when Michael Jordan was on TV, Thanks. you know what I'm saying? And, um, wow. you know, I, I was a, I was a big fan and, 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 and I don't know. I mean, Kobe was like an assassin, but then, you know, being a kid and the commercials, the Jordan commercials, I just, I can't put nobody above an idol. You know, like, you know, it's as close to a, a Greek God that you can get. <laughs> For me, you know, Michael Jordan was that guy, you know, and when I met him, you know, it was like, you know, he smelled good, he looked good. <laughs> You know, you got the perfect, you got the perfect body. Then to see him jump and his swagger, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 there's nobody that could top that. You know, I mean, of course, LeBron is probably a lot all around better. Mm-hmm. You know, probably you know, but you know, you got to keep MJ in that goat category, and 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 they built it from the ground up on that team in Chicago. You know, that's why I like I like to put Tim Duncan in that category. Sure. You know, because they built it from San Antonio. They built it from the ground up and they came in in there and they won championships the right way. Right. And so, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I'm I, a MJ fan. I'm a Kobe fan. I'm, I'm all those guys fans, but, you know, I got to keep MJ on the, in the, in the head of the class. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
That's 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 much. What you what you think? Me personally, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I, I you know I was born and raised in Gary, Indiana, so we got all in Chicago, and yeah. I was a Bulls fan since '83 with Gene Banks and Reggie Pierce and Orlando Woolridge and Granville Waiters and Wow, and all them was on this team even before Jordan got there. You know, I went to my first game <laughs> when I was six, so I was attached to it since then. So when Jordan came in, you know what I'm saying, we couldn't do nothing but in that area fall in love with him. You know I, can, I can only imagine what it was like to grow up out that way <laughs> when Michael Jordan was playing. I can only imagine. Every move he did, we went to the courts and tried to do it. Yep. Hanging for Rams. <laughs> yeah, and me, and me personally, the thing, the difference between me was I was dunking in the sixth, seventh grade. Wow. So I, yeah. you see what I'm saying? So I was yeah. trying, I was trying to do all his dunks. Yeah. In the sixth to seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. We was we was putting benches up. We was putting benches up. So we could run on the bench and jump to the rim. Right. And we was doing all kind of stuff. <laughs> the yeah. love of the game. The love of the game was so fun when you're younger. Before it got like you know either political or or business. It was, it was just so much fun just growing up back in the yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah we didn't we didn't know we didn't know nothing about the politics stuff. We just yeah. knew. Hey, look, turn we on, knew. Turn on the damn TV. Yeah, um, we knew. We yeah. knew we can go in our room and put the hanger up and get the sock. We can go outside and get a crate or get a bike rim and have us a have us a basketball rim with a cardboard up there. Yeah, <laughs> I got plenty of whoopings with that hanger. Yeah, hey, man. <laughs> same hanger, the same hanger you're getting beat. No. Same hanger you're getting beat. Yeah. 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 yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I got a funny story about it. Um, speaking of the wire hanger, so you know, um, me and Ron was playing with the wire hanger stuff in the house and there's some parts of the house um, that we grew up in where like the ceiling is lower than the other so there's a beam like right there mm -hmm. so, like you know we're we're intense and he runs and jumps and didn't realize that that beam was too low and smacked dead his head oh, <laughs> had to go to the hospital and stuff like that man it, it was fun it, it was fun but like like you said like before the politics like the game was awesome like like i learned how to play a basketball game on on, on the jungle gym and in trash can like i was a so i was a self I self player Mm -hmm. You know, um, I didn't didn't get no germs, so I think that you know <laughs> I came out pretty good and stuff like that. It was we a blessing yeah. and stuff. We but, went um, all the way back. We went all the way back where we didn't have a rim. It was just the backboard, and you had to hit the spot on the backboard. Hit the spot on the backboard. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, at, at at the one building project, uh, do you remember that 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 court that was like crooked? It had no yes. rim on it. Yes, I know. I remember. <laughs> Yeah, that that was when we played full court. So you yeah. always, you always, if you was new, you wanted the the court with the rim, but yeah. it wasn't right. even a full court. This, it was like diagonal. It was it was it like, was like this, bro. <laughs> yeah, the rim, the backboard, yeah. everything was like was shifted. It was crazy. Right. Man. You, know, you know that that came that came from people being a young dunker. That came from people only dunking from that side. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. But let's get let's get let's get back to it real quick. Um. <laughs> You know, you also play with Brandon Roy, and unfortunately, the injuries, man, killed his career. Him and Greg Oden. So, how great y'all would have been because you was on that Blazers team if if those knees didn't betray on both those players. Man, um, Brandon Roy was a special player, man, and unfortunately, you know, those knees he had, you know, must have been something in the genetics or something. 
But, you know, when I got there, it was like, you know, the, the city and the, the management was viewing him as the best two guard behind Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in LaMarcus Aldridge, a young LaMarcus Aldridge. And then Greg Oden was basically like a poor man Shaq, like the, the, yeah. the, second, the second coming of Shaq. And man, I don't know if it was something in the water in Portland. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and not just those guys, you had Nicholas Batum, Martell Webster, Jared Bayless. Um, and then we came, then Canby came over there, Gerald Wallace. I mean, that squad was deep, man. It was just, you know, to see those guys be injured, whether it was a back or knees and and see that they couldn't even make it through a practice. You know, it was, and I was actually on the court, I believe when Greg Oden tore his knee. Mm. And, uh, And it was nasty, man. He tore his knee. And then I believe two weeks later, Joe Prisbilla tore his knee the same mm-hmm. way. And I was like, man, this, I don't know how long I'm gonna last here because it must be like a, a, a root going on around here because dudes is dropping. So, um, you know. Yeah, you know, it seemed like they had that curse since uh, Sam Bowie, man. Sam Bowie. Yeah, oh, Sam Bowie, yep. Yeah. Because the way he told, he told his knee up in the layup line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. he came back and then broke his leg warming up too. Yeah. That's crazy. Um. Yeah, but Greg Oden, man, Greg Oden was special, man. I, I got the chance to go up against him in the NBA Summer League, you know, nice. back in like nice. back in his rookie year when he first came in. I tried to mm-hmm. dunk on him, but he he rubbed he rubbed <laughs> against the backboard. I was like, all right, that, that, that dude is athletic and stuff. Like, um, yeah. like he he was special, man. And a lot of people forget. Um, I want to ask you a question too. Do you think like this bus label should be shedded? It should be shedded from players that are injured. Instead of like, you know, if a player, I'm not going to say no player's name because I don't want to call no players out. But like, you know how a player that's a high draft pick but didn't produce, he's out the league before his first contract is up um, versus a player like Greg Oden who was injured. Do you think that that injury, that that bus shouldn't count towards injured players? I mean, I think that's just for, for media and everybody else to decide mm. because, you know, I mean, all these guys was talented coming out of high school. Yes. You know, it just didn't. It just didn't work out the way management or coaching staff wanted. I mean, everybody can play. It's just about being put in the right position and being healthy, having a little bit of luck, you know, and and unfortunately, you know, whether those guys get hurt or they don't mesh with what the coaching staff wants, and next thing you know, you know, they, they get labeled. Yeah. You know, and, and once you get labeled, I mean, whatever team you're gonna go to they gonna stick to that label and, and how people judge you. Mm, right. you know, so That's it true. is what it is. I don't believe in the word bust. Thank you. It just, you know, it just didn't, it just didn't work out. You yeah. know, and you know, yeah. those guys know they could hoop. It's just about having the right opportunity and you know, having the coaching staff that that trust you enough to to be able to um put you in the right situations. Mm. And they know these coaches and management know what they're doing they know what they're doing so you know sometimes you know they just make the pick to make the pick yeah we hope it work out if not then we could we can leverage this into some draft picks yeah exactly yeah. exactly so um take us through that game four though speaking of still staying on brandon roy take us through that game four versus dallas when brandon roy took over like 
it looked like he only had one more game left in him, one more great game left in him. Yeah. You know, he was amazing. You know what was crazy? I remember them two years there. And, yeah. um, you know, both years he tried, you know, come in training camp. We go through our conditioning stuff and he just couldn't make it through. Mm. He like, I mean, for him, for somebody to be icing before, before, before um, warmups is over, you know, you knew, you knew it was a, a short time before he was going to sit down. And I mean, but when you know when you love a game and, and 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 it's being taken away from you and you know you can't perform the way you used to, and then everybody is seeing you and judging you, you know you lose confidence. And he was broke, man. He was done. He was broke. I still remember in practice, man. He was he was teary eyed. He was upset, and you know guys was just trying to stick by him. And that game, you know, really like. I mean, if you're in the playoffs, you kind of know how yeah. I see it is. You kind of know when it's almost time for you to go home. Yeah. You know when it's there. You, you can fight and say, oh, yeah, man, we're going to try to win this series. But you kind of know that, you know what? We going home. And, uh, and, and either you going home or the league ready to move on to the next round. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when he came out, when he came out and – and put them buckets up, you know, it wasn't just for the team, it was for him. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Cause we wasn't, you know, I don't even remember if we won that game, but he hmm. was, he was, he was doing some crazy stuff, man. And yeah, you know, it was all methodical, methodical moves. And that, you know, for him, at least, you know, when he walked away from the game, knowing that his knees was done, that he was like, I went out and, and did something special you know, mm -hmm. before I walked away from the game. Yeah. yeah. I always call Brandon Roy uh, uh, under control Dwayne Wade. I can see that. I can see he, that. Yeah, he was always under control. He played, to me, him and Dwayne Wade, game was similar. He was just always under control when he played. Definitely. I can see that. What did you learn from your coaches? Because you are a coach now. And you you played for some great coaches, Mick Vajeras, the late great Mick Vajeras, uh, George Carl, um, just to name a few. Yeah, pop. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I feel, I, I'm, a, I'm a Spurs fan, and, and you play for my favorite team. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't even mentioned Coach Pop, but yeah, you know you play for some great coaches. Uh, and now that you're coaching, what what did you learn from them through the years that you're using with your players that you're coaching now? One thing I learned um, is is it's not about coaching. And, mm. and I try I try not to use the word coach because you know it's it's all about under understanding personalities and egos, knowing how to knowing how to deal with different personalities and egos and respecting people. And mm. um I think that's one thing that like how pop pop separates himself. You know, he's not <clears throat> a coach. He's a people person. Yeah. If you got good people skills and you know how to deal with people and communicate with them, shoot, they'll run through a brick wall for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the coaching stuff, as far as the X's and O's, that stuff is added, you know, to it. But the people skills in general are, are probably the most, most important. Yeah. That was one of the reasons why I said Phil Jackson was so great. Cause I yeah. believe Tex, I believe Tex Winters was the X and O guy. 
Yeah. And, and Phil was the guy that got all the egos together. It kept them together. Uh-huh. And he respected yeah. people. He respected where people come from. He respected mm-hmm. the culture. He he understood what guys were going to, going through. Right. And he didn't. He didn't change. He didn't. Uh, from what I know, I didn't know if he ever. You know, hey, don't be your. Don't be this. Don't be that. He allowed people to be themselves, and 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 coast around them. Hey, when I saw. Uh, last dance, and I saw him let Dennis take that vacation during the season. Mm. <laughs> I was like, "Oh wow!" But yeah, I was uh, like, yeah, yeah. And he, he knew, knew, like you know, Dennis Rodman, one of the most in shape guys ever. He gonna go yes. party, kick it, and he gonna mm. come around like running, running with that horse trot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he, gonna, he gonna still be in shape, man. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, he I knew. Remember, uh, I remember watching the interview uh, a long time ago, and uh, it was when Dennis Rodman was getting fined and things like that. And they asked Phil, you know, what are you going to do about Dennis? He said, what do you mean? He's like, I got to find him because he's protocol or whatever. He's like, but if that man stays out all night and comes here and grabs 15 rebounds, what am I going to say to him? Right. He said that in the interview. I was like. And that's that's one of the things, like, being a Bulls fan, that's one of the things I realized about. Dennis, like you'll see Dennis out at the clubs all times, the after hour clubs and everything. And he'll go get you 18, 17 rebound. And riding a bike <laughs> on the side. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's a machine, bro. Yeah. Uh so Dre, I want to ask you this. We're about to approach the year anniversary of Kobe's passing. Could you give us a Kobe story? Man, out man, I was over here boohooing when he went down, man, and you know, yeah. just to share, man. Like uh, before I get into the story, man, I was I was driving. I was in L.A. and uh, the week before he passed, I was driving from L.A. to San Diego, and I see this car flying on the freeway. I, I can't. It was maybe like eighty, so I'm just coasting because it's like maybe twelve one in the morning. And I pull up, it's a Rolls Royce, and it say Kobe Laker. Wow. You know, and it was like, like I was a fan, like, man, I wanted to pull up, and hey, Kobe, you know what I'm saying? You know, um, he was like a super competitive. When he went down, man, it felt like, you know, in LA and also here in San Diego, man, the fog was like deathly. Yeah. For like three or four days, the fog was deathly, man, and and, you know, I was so upset when I heard that that happened, man, because we couldn't even drive. The fog was that bad. We took a wow. day off from driving. The wow. fog was that bad. But a Kobe story, man, I got a few of them. You know, I used to always ask him for autograph shoes. <laughs> and, you know, he was more approachable than people thought. Yeah. And um, one game we was in the playoffs. And... And um, I think the game went, it went to game seven. That was the year that uh, Ron, Ron Artez got suspended for hitting Harden. Mm. Oh, he got oh. suspended for hitting Harden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, uh, he came back game, game seven. Yeah. He came back game seven, right? So <laughs> we playing, right? So I tell Kobe, I'm like, look here, it's getting towards the end of the game. I said, there's no way, there's no way we're gonna allow you to win this game. 
And I never say anything to anybody on the court. Like, no, <laughs> we're not letting you shoot this ball. And I like, I was like, you're gonna, sh- you're gonna shoot it anyway. You know, because I told him, I said, you don't trust your teammates. Mm. I, th- I told him this during a free throw. <laughs> so then he comes down and I still remember, I don't know if it was Artest or Steve Blake. And I was like, you know, run, run at him and get the ball out of his hand. And he kicked it and they made a three pointer. And they, of course they end up winning the, winning the game in the series. And he tells me, he says, man, don't, don't, don't under, don't ever underestimate one of the greatest. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, you're like talking in third person, like don't ever underestimate one of the greatest. Yeah, man. But (laughs) I was a big Kobe fan, man. You know, he was competitive, man. That's probably one of my favorite stories because, you know, we was kind of talking trash, you know, during that series, like, you know, especially because our test wasn't there. We were like, oh, we gonna beat them. And then <laughs> this dude come back and it's like, it's like eight defenders on the court when he came back. Yeah. Yeah, how y'all let him, all right, I gotta, I gotta ask this question because it seemed like Doc Rivers did it, leaving him open and, and daring him to shoot. Was that the game plan in game seven when, when Ron came back from um, from your coach? Not really. It was just that you got to live with something. And, right. and and when, you know, Kobe got a history of taking the last shot, and I, and I don't know what the percentages are, but who wants to see him celebrate? We want to see right. somebody else make the shot. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it wasn't something that came from the coaching staff. You know, all the players know, hey, we don't want to get beat by the best player at the end. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, that was 24 Kobe. So, you know, if that was eight Kobe, he would have took that shot. 24 Kobe was a little more mature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he figured it out, man. He had some good teammates with him, too, man. That team was big, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You were uh, talking about uh, trash talk. Uh, 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 Who is... All right, who is the funniest trash talker that you played with and the one, the funniest you've played against? One that's like, yo, I can't even talk trash. You're going to be making me laugh and really mess me up. Uh, probably, um, man, Gary Payton. Gary Payton and KG, man. <laughs> like Gary Payton, Gary Payton was more serious with his trash talking. Yeah. KG was more like, you you like should I take this dude serious? Like he joking. But you know, it was like more of his his alter ego, his persona that he gave off to the rest of the world, like you know, the beating on the chest, you know, all that type of stuff. But everybody know that KG's a nice guy. He's a great guy. Right, right. So, you know, it both of those guys, I, I don't know if I played with a trash talker on my team. Um and KG Martin had to talk trash because I know he used to talk trash in the pickup games we used to have. You know, K Mart was more like, uh, you know, like he was he was a serious guy. Mm-hmm. So you know, like, yeah, he had his moments of talking trash, but it was more in, more for intimidation. You know, <laughs> got so it, he, got he got have it. his he have his moments. You know, like he know he knew who to cross and who not to cross and. Actually, he just crossed everybody. He didn't care. Yeah, you know, so he, but he was a good teammate. You know, we used to tease him a lot. You know, 
you know, with all the uh, stuff that he had going on and, you know, just, he was always amped up. Always. So um, <laughs> give us um, your, your, your top five uh, tough, toughest matchups. Toughest matchups, uh, AI, Curry, Kobe, of course. Chauncey Billups was a tough matchup for me mm. because he, you know, he was an elite shooter. Yeah, yeah, and he can and he can back down too. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite guys. Yeah, Chauncey Chauncey had an all around one. I mean, you know, probably one of the more all around point guards, and from what he went through, um, those guys were tough matchups for me. You know, guys that was like my kid. You know, the younger version of kid, and then like you know, he kept one. You know, he kept you off balance with his shooting. So like. If you go into a game deciding that you just gonna disrespect Jason Kidd's jump shot, he gonna mess around his six threes. Yeah. And um <laughs> he did it in Dallas. <laughs> exactly. So um those were tough. All of them, you know who was a really tough matchup for me early on was Marbury. Marbury was a tough matchup for me early on. Tony Parker is probably if you put if I out of all the guys that I just said, Tony Parker and Allen Iverson. I mean, their motors, their motors, and, and especially Tony Parker, because he never stopped moving. And the amount of pressure that he had to play with and his quickness and his finishing capabilities. Like, I'm like, man, like, and then it didn't help that you was always getting hit by Tim Duncan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, to, to be able to try to guard somebody that's moving that much, Tony Parker definitely was one of those elite points where I was like, Okay, you just can't come in and just say, I'm gonna guard this guy this way. He's just gonna keep going and going and going and going. Wow. So he's up there too. You know, I gotta ask oh. about my guy, uh, D Rose, man. Oh, I forgot about him. Pre-injury D Rose, man, was, Look, man, he, I've been, he was just crazy. Wait, hold up. Let me add him to that list too. Yeah. Cause uh, <laughs> he up there too and you know, when he came in the league and what he did to me when he got in Philly, I mean, my son, what's crazy is after he, my son was visiting, my older son was visiting and D Rose had blocked my shot and crossed me over and it was like bad, man. And my older son went to the locker room and asked him for his shoes. Autograph. So I got D Rose, D Rose shoes autographed from when he crossed me up, man. But. <laughs> It was, wow. it was embarrassing, man. I still remember guys going back in the locker room, like, look at this. They rewinding the clip. Uh, hey, look, it, it, it happens, bro. It happens to all of us. Because when you get those players that's real quick and they coming downhill, mm -hmm. like, your feet don't move as fast as their feet move, it seems like. I would say, like, him, Westbrook, John Wall, all these guys, those quicks, I might have an explosiveness be pre pre injury. D Rose might probably fashion all of them. That's what I keep telling people. People don't understand it. They they always be like, uh, Westbrook is bigger than D Rose. John Wall is faster than D Rose. And I tell people if D Rose had the jumper that he has now, pre injury, he would be unstoppable. Hey, look, man, his 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 change of pace and his explosion, man, it was it was sickening, man. It was like like <laughs> when I when he crossed me up, it was like a legit like I was hurt. 
like, like I had to go change ankle braces. <laughs> wow. You were still, yeah. you were still able to, to, to stay with him though. You know what I'm saying? Do, do uh, I uh, like, uh, did yeah. you do your work early? Like, did you guard them early? Like, did you figure out like where they was going to go? Like how, how did you game plan for them? My thing was, I knew I can guard them. The thing was to just kind of, you know, try to manage their speed and then also make them work on the defensive end. So, so my thing was, if I knew that Russ and the Russes of the world and, and the uh, Roses of the world, like, if y'all just gonna come out going at me like this, I'm gonna find a way to go back at you and find my way down to the post somewhere to, mm -hmm. or, or, or make you work defensively guarding pick and rolls but you just not gonna just be running free with not having to work on the defensive end. So that's yeah. how I pro approached it. And I didn't, it didn't hit me until you said Rod Strickland, cause Rod Strickland was like one of the best post up point guards they were that, yeah. that played in the game, period. Mm -hmm. And I know that was a big part of your game also. Yeah, man, it, it, and, and it was a, something that you had to take advantage of, you know? Mm -hmm. you know Russ, Russ and D Rose, they was, you know, solid defenders, but you know, it's, it's very hard for a point guard that's not used to guarding a post player to go right. and try, try to guard a guard. Right. You know, so my thing was, as soon as I had an opportunity to, you know, find my back to the basket, I was gonna get them at least two fouls. You know? <laughs> times where they, they, I had to go guard somebody else and it was times where they had to go guard somebody else. Yeah. So where did you learn the post up from? Like, like who was your your post up inspirations? Watching TV, Watching magic, TV. magic, <laughs> magic, magic. James Worthy, Kevin McHale, um, Kareem, Gary Payton. You know mm. all those guys. I just tried to you know, you know, emulate some of the things that. I well, I, I think I, if anybody that stood out most of that I used to watch their post game was probably uh, Kevin McHale and James Worthy. Mm. You know, those guys, as far as how they how they knew how to fill bodies and make their moves off yeah, of yeah. bodies. Yeah, you know? slippery ill is what they call it. You gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta add, you gotta add the other most dominant to that too, don't you? Akeem Olajuwon, Akeem Olajuwon. Oh yeah, he was on a whole nother level though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a, a, point guard, a point guard can't do the things that he was doing. <laughs> His footwork was so impeccable, man. That, yeah, that yeah. footwork he had for a center was way beyond. He moved, he moved like a like a small forward. Yeah. I think the best thing about him is when they had the Twin Towers in Houston when he first came to uh, the Rockets. You know what I'm saying? And he was really able to do those moves, try to moves out on Ralph Sampson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he. I, uh, at the time, I remember I was a, a big fan of uh, David Robinson, who's great, and mm -hmm. he had David Robinson looking like a child. I felt <laughs> bad. For, I felt it, it was so bad. I felt bad for my guy. Like he had that him was... spinning all jumping, and I was like, David Robinson is not a slouch. And he you know what happened though, looking right? like now. Chris, you know what happened though. Now Mills. Now you know when you see when you when we was talking about those videos and you see me play and how I post up those spin moves on the baseline. That's all yeah. Hakeem's. That's all Hakeem's yeah. right there. All, all his, 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 um. 
his um his first moves, his secondaries, his counters, everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, look, and I see it, and I see it, DA. I see it when I was watching your tapes or your post games. I see it. Yeah, Dre, but, okay, yeah, Dre we we the same height, but I always played power forward and center my entire career. So yeah, you know. I remember when you played. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Hey, J- JC, you know what that happened to David Robinson, right? Because yeah. he got the MVP. Because because he won. A uh, kid was like, "That was my MVP that he won." Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. That did happen that year. Is, is that when he scored that like seventy year. points of the last game or something? Yeah, when he scored that last yeah. game of the regular season, he scored that scored 70. seventy-one. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on to the show, Dre, man. I appreciate you, man. Shout out to uh, social media to your people and stuff. Let them know how they can reach you. Oh, I don't do social media. I say, really? I, say, I didn't know, know that. Nobody, media. hey. Hey, look, I was about to say, hey, look, I was going to say it, but I thought you was about to sneak one in. I didn't want to say it. I was like, Dre, you yeah, got something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he ain't got no I social media? I thought y'all was talking about get on y'all social media. I was like, <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't do Instagram. I don't do Facebook. I don't do Twitter. <laughs> Hey, that's that. Hey, well, is that is it that time being up in Utah? That's why. Or you was always down. You know what? I never really got interested in it, man. I like you know. I go on a little my little gossip websites, you know, find out what's going on in the world. <laughs> you know, my, friends, my friends will send me some videos and stuff like that. I keep up that way, man. But I'm in kind of I'm still in denial, man. I haven't. You know, <laughs> like Dre, man, Dre, like you know, hey, you tripping, man. <laughs> so eventually, man, I'll probably say in the next year or two. All right, well, that's it for the Daniel Artes podcast for my guy, JC, Chris Cunningham, Chris Mills. I'm Daniel Artes. <laughs> With that being said, we out of here. Peace. Support for the Daniel Artest Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. My personal experience with electric below-the-waist trimmers wasn't a pleasant one. Either I was always nicking myself or the battery didn't last long. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience firsthand for yourself 
trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ARTTEST at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. <laughs> 